We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 355. That felt good, getting the sweep, a little revenge on the Red Sox, burying them. Their season, as far as the AL East goes, is over. What's up, Scott? It it needed to happen that way. I really do. I really feel like it needed to happen this way because of the struggles that happened 
you know, before the trade down, I, I said this in one of my post game videos. It, it felt like last Thursday was almost like the All Star break. It was like it was the 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 next half of the season started after the um the the trade deadline, right? It was like it, just I guess the energy as well in the in the in the fan base is they needed to show something, and they came out after struggling in Boston and dominated, absolutely dominated, and mopped the floor with these guys up in uh, up in New York, and it was a beautiful thing. And you know what it did? It started with starting pitching. Yeah. It started with the pitching. Yeah, it did. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny thing what happens when your starters can keep you competitive into the middle to deep innings of ball games, isn't it? It's like it's, you can actually win games that way. Weird. Uh, that's, a, that's a foreign concept. Well, no, because we saw it. We've seen it during the season, you know, quite often. I know. And when when you have such a terrible stretch, uh, and it's and it's around a a time where you can add new players. Of course, the fan base wants to see new players because I don't even care if they're good or not. They're just new. <laughs> Give them to me. Give me somebody different out there so that I can bitch at somebody different. Well, but that's not what happened. What happened here was the guys that were that were on the squad buckled down and said, "You know what." I'm not that bad. I'm going to go out there and show you that I'm not that bad. And they did that. Well, or is it the Red Sox just rolling over and dying? I think it's a little bit of both because we saw that this weekend. The Red Sox are, I think, dead. I don't think the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs. They, they've now lost eight games in a row. Eight games in a row, yeah. No, I mean, the offense is still churning, though. Like, I still don't – the offense really doesn't struggle even that much when, you're, uh, when, when there are – you know when they're losing eight games in a row, it's more of the pitching. They can hit the crap tricky. out of the ball. This Red Sox There's team more. makes no sense. They could still hit the crap out of the ball. They lead the lead baseball and runs scored. Uh, yeah. But Chris Sale, their ace, is getting pounded. The Yankees have crushed him all season. David yes. Price shows up last night, and same old David Price in the Bronx gets crushed. Thank God. Thank God. We needed that to go back. If to their starting pitching is not dominating, this t- that team has no chance at doing anything. And so the weirdest thing, I was listening to John and Susan a bunch this weekend. They're talking about how the Red Sox are actually under 500 at Fenway Park, which, yeah. which is very bizarre. It is very bizarre. Well, I mean, when you have terrible pitching, when you have terrible starting pitching, that's what that's what happened. So, I mean, I, I, look, this kind of goes back to my my thought process for them last year and what they were. Uh, like everything really did go beautifully perfect for them. It went uh, it went according to the most amazing baseball script you could possibly find. And are they? Because they're practically the same well, roster. I mean, they have some differences. Kimbrel's not there, but Kimbrel and Kelly are not there. Those were the, that was their two top that's relievers a huge, in the bullpen last year. That's a big difference. It's a big difference, but their starting pitching is not doing jack. No, right no, their now. starting pitching is not nearly as dominant as it was last year, and that's the biggest difference to the Red Sox. Is their yeah. their top three starters are not dominating like they did all of last year. But um, you know, they chose not to address the uh, the bullpen issues in the offseason or in the deadline as well. And I still believe firmly that that was because of budgetary concerns, mm-hmm. and they did not want to go over that second, you know, that uh, that tax threshold. Well, they made stupid th- they made stupid decisions in bringing back uh, Eduardo Nunez and Steve Pierce, just like pl- unnecessary infield depth players that they don't need, where they really needed to address bullpen concerns. And I'm not well, they what they they, they addressed them. Uh, they brought them back, and and thinking they were going to be main cogs again. Like everybody right. could see that Steve Pierce was like that's a classic that, mistake. You win a championship in any a great, sport. It's a great story. You win a championship in any sport with like a, a un, unexpected player, and then you expect them to repeat that. Like this is not that was not Mookie Betts 
winning World Series MVP, and then they're like, okay, we got to lock up Mookie Betts. Like, I, I right. would understand that. When Steve Pierce comes in at the trade deadline out of nowhere and wins you World Series MVP, you say, thank you very much, Steve Pierce. Here's your ring. Here's your parade. You're going to come back whenever, and you're going to get your, your ceremony, but we're not re-signing your ass. Yeah, or if we do, it's going to be at a, a, you know, a decent contract, and we're probably not going to bank on you as, as somebody as a you know, contributing player. Either way, uh, I don't want to talk about their deficiencies all the time. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's, that's, I, believe me, I can talk about their deficiencies all day. <laughs> the beauty is, is that the Yankees came in and and uh, and and like I said, like the, the one of the T-shirts that I designed that I wanted to release so badly because I really wanted it to happen was step on their throats because that's what they it did. Was beautiful, yeah. That's up in the fan shop now. Uh, that went up on Saturday night after the doubleheader sweep, right? I was you like, were like, I was you like felt twitching, confident after twitching the, three out of four. Twitching. You, yeah, you yeah. said I need three out of four to get it done, and they got that. And I think it's um, I think it's a little bit of poetic justice that the Yankees get a four-game sweep in early August, just like the Red Sox got a four-game sweep last season in early August, which ended the Yankees' division hopes. This definitely ends the Red Sox' division hopes. They're 14 and a half back. And I'm at the point, I said this last podcast, even though I lost my damn mind last podcast, I still think I was justified. More on, <laughs> more on that to come in a little bit in this episode. But um, I'm not. I, I wasn't even worried about the division five days ago. I'm not worried about the division anymore. That's not the point. That's not my point anymore. That's not what I'm concerned with. Yes, winning the division is important. I'm not saying losing the division is okay. But they're going to win the division. The math. I mean, they, math if, if says they they're going to win the division. If they don't win the division, it's one of the worst. Uh, losses and failures in baseball <laughs> it's terrible you're eight so, up on tampa and you only play tampa two more times the very last week of the season yeah no i mean you look at what's happening the only thing that that could steer them away now though I, <laughs> that's the only thing I'm, I'm 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 a little concerned about because it's it's happening are these injuries because they're out of control again out they're out of, of control, control. This is, this is reminiscent of late April, early May, where yeah, it's like wave two of like we're just going to take everybody. Every every two or three games, <clears throat> another person goes down, and it's like with injury now. Injuries are repeating themselves. Glaber has a core injury, just like Voigt has a core injury. Like okay, so Voigt suffers the core injury in London, comes back, doesn't really look right, and then has an even worse core injury. And now Glaber's got a, a little bit of a core injury. Boone's talking about oh he's going to have tests. Like hopefully he's back this week. Well, what if he is back this week but doesn't look right and then three weeks down the road really really does something wrong? Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's definitely a concern. It's it's something that you know, they need to address uh, at the time of the initial <laughs> injury because apparently that they let uh Voigt go through it and he, and he uh and he got made it worse or, or you know, I don't know if they're totally connected if I assume they are, but they um you know, a lot of times they will let guys play through pain and just let them go go through it. But at the same time, like you got to make sure that they can't make it worse and aggravate it to a point where it's going to be, uh, you know, a much longer stay on the IL because then you're talking about, you know, potentially these guys not being there for the the final run. You know, coming into the playoffs and into the playoffs, so it's it's uh, not good. Well, now's the time if you're going to give Glaber a little ten day break. It's the time. Yeah. you've got a you've got a road trip in Baltimore and Toronto. Right, even though I really want to see Glaber again in Toronto or Baltimore, in, uh, Baltimore. sure. I just want to see but him he, kill. But Gary you know what Thorne. he did? He treated he treated the the Red Sox yeah. like they were the Orioles, so it was fine. Yeah, but you're we're starting to look at the lineup now and and say so. Encarnacion gets hit by a pitch on Saturday, 
hairline fracture of his wrist. Apparently, they'll know in the next two or three days how long the injury is going to be. But yeah, it, he got hit in the same place as Judge too. It could, almost judge, the exact same injury. Judge was about seven weeks. Yeah, but so here's the difference. Judge is Judge. Judge is like the franchise guy, and Carnacion is, is, for all intents and purposes, a rental. Uh, someone that they're probably going to, you know, okay. not 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 push the um, their uh, the option next year, and he'll. Probably you agree be with this? Agent. We're looking at four weeks at minimum without Encarnacion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know because those again, these hairline fracture things. When they're talking about their uh, fracture, those are essentially a, a bruise that it's it's a it's a deep bruise, and you know whether it, there's a, a like an actual hairline fracture. I've told the story about me falling and. Uh, in seventh grade that I didn't fall, I tried to get out of a test and went, got x-rays and they're like, oh yeah, there's a hairline fracture. I'm like, you, bas- you lying <laughs> bastard. I never fell. <clears throat> and uh, so I think when you're, when you're looking at stuff like that, like, you know, it, I don't know how long it's going to take to, it, it's a matter of it, you know, the, uh, how long you can play with it, whether it feels good. So it could take three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. It could take longer. But I, again, I don't think they're going to wait and coddle it like they did with Judge because Encarnacion is not Judge. That doctor should have messed with you even more and been like, I think we got to remove the pinky. I don't know. This is, this is <laughs> looking serious. But I, yeah, I would have broken at that point. That, that would have been the limit. If you're taking off, if you're taking off in a, an appendage at that point, like I'm going to come, come forward and say, nope, just try to get out of the test. So, but they're down both first basemen with Voight and Encarnacion out. Hicks hurts his elbow making a throw to third base on Saturday. MRI ended up showing a flexor strain, which was better than originally thought. But much better. Flexor strains can also be anywhere from two to two weeks to up to like eight weeks, depending on the severity of it and and his recovery time. And Hicks is not known for a speedy recovery. Like he is no. he could be out pretty much to the end of the season at, at his rate of recovery. Yeah, I mean we'll see with him, but that's uh, that one came kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, it almost leads me to believe it. I'm, I was look, thinking back and like looking at the um, just the series and how things went in certain throws. Like I know that they said that one throw to third base, but the I think it was Friday or it was probably during the doubleheader when he was. Um, I think it was during the doubleheader. It was one of the Boston games when he was when he was lining up to go home, throwing home, and then he like at the last second threw to third base. His whole body was going towards home, and then he threw to third base. Wasn't that Arizona? Maybe it was Arizona. Maybe it was last week at some point, whether it was the uh, the beginning of the Boston series or the end of the Arizona series. And 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 like his whole body was going towards home, but then he like pivoted and threw and and Urshela couldn't catch the ball, if you remember. Um that that was the one thing that stood out in my head. Like that was the only weird play that stood out in my head of of something that that could possibly uh you know strain an arm like that. Because he's got it's very weird for an outfielder like that on on relatively normal throws to strain in, uh, an elbow well that's what happened with Didi last year on that throw in the playoffs it was yeah but again it was out of it was kind of out of the ordinary it wasn't a, a normal yeah type play yeah I mean Hicks is not going to need Tommy John surgery that was right. that was like an original fear when they, they said it was if they went to the they went to the depths of hell with the with the way that they were thinking and very originally like they thought it was done that's it how could you not they were just, thinking like they were thinking like you how could you not think like me and go to a deep, dark place with injuries after what this team has suffered this season? Yeah, I know. But, um, you know, it's not not the case. Uh, let's just see how long he gets back, though. Didi is back. He played on Sunday because, of course, he's back. Uh, he, Thank God. He, was, uh, he had a little bit of a finger strain. Sanj quickly running down the rest of the injury updates. It's, it's, 
it's half a page of notes again. It, we, we shrunk it to like three bullet points at one point, and now it's back to a half a page. Sanchez is close to being ready. Still to, to be determined if he's going to get in rehab games. I expect him to get in rehab games, though, because he was really struggling before he went on the IL. He, they might just give him like a weekend in Scranton to, to start getting some, some at-bats again. I would, I would be, I would actually be surprised if they did that. I would be surprised, especially with the uh, looking at the opponents coming up. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> Severino close to throwing off a mound. I could not find a new update on Patances, but I believe he's also close to throwing off a mound. Um, Voit again. Severino tried to throw off the mound last night in the uh, post game little hand. Uh, hand slapping uh, that they do at the line because he he like jumped on on there and like did like a little fake throw. I think he was actually like a lefty throw too. Yeah, you could tell he's itching to get back. And uh, Voit, uh, no updates. Stanton, no baseball activities. So this is what I'm starting to get concerned with: is if we say okay, if the rotation is average and the bullpen is locked down, the offense is good enough to carry him through a playoffs through the playoffs. But what happens if the offense is without two or three or four of these guys is the offense good enough at that point to carry him through the playoffs i mean if we've watched what's happened this season i guess yeah it's when you look at what what has gone down this season the answer is yes because they've yes they've all played it's been yes to win regular season games and to beat up on shitty pitching staffs is it going to be enough to beat cleveland or houston because i don't know about you i'm starting to get nervous about cleveland I'm not nervous about anybody right now. I'm nervous. I just want these guys to get healthy. I don't care uh, about speculating if this offense, when injured, is going to be able to go up against these these playoff rosters. It's like I'm not there yet. Well, I don't know. See, you have and, to and, get and there, you know what, Scott. You, no, you can't get there right now. There's no reason to get there. Let, let me tell you what's happened. This team, every single time they've been injured and 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 put on the mat. With uh, with all of these, doesn't matter who it is. If they're injured, someone else has come up and step up. That's what we've seen. That's what I have seen and witnessed with my own two eyes. They've done it every time. They've they've bounced back. They've bounced back. They've bounced back. This team is resilient as all hell. There's no reason for me to believe that they can't succeed without one or two guys out. I just I can't get there because even now, even with the guys that are up right currently, with even with some of the um, injuries now, you look down on the uh, on the. In AAA, they still got guys that could play. They still got Tyler Strada that's down there who could come up and play. They still got Clint Frazier, who will need definitely get to, who could come up and play and rake. So there's a lot of uh, depth when when it comes to this team. If uh, Glaber's out, they're going to probably see Tyro. But probably. I thought you meant you can't get there looking forward to the playoffs because that's what we're now at, looking forward to the playoffs. I mean, that's no, just the reality I- of the season when you're up with a huge division lead and you're fighting Houston for best record in the division in the in the league. Right. That's what you're looking at. I mean, that, that is what this team has done by playing pretty much 650 baseball through the beginning of August. You're looking There's forward no doubt. to the playoffs. That's, I mean, yes, we're going to analyze games. We're going to go through, like, if a guy's in a slump, we're going to talk about it. If a guy has a great pitching performance, we're going to talk about it. But, but the reality is, and now especially after the trade deadline is done and no one was added, it's can the roster they have win in the playoffs? That is the conversation for the next two months, so buckle up. Well, it's not the conversation. That's the thing. Because where you're wrong is we don't know what the hell that roster is going to look like. So we're, we're talking about guys who either are there or not there. And we're all, in, we're all in a holding pattern waiting for them to come back. We're also in a holding pattern waiting to see who the hell is going to get injured next or who's not going to get injured. So the, the fact that the, we still have two months, we have no idea what this roster is going to look like, even with no trades. 
No clue. Well, that's and that's Logan why Morrison I said, might be playing first baseman. That's Logan Morrison no, might be a first baseman. Logan Morrison does not walk through that door. That's why he, I he said, might be re-signed. Who knows? That's why I said I, I'm. I think it's a fair question when you have in one weekend Glaber and Carnacion Hicks all get banged up, and Stanton still no baseball activities, and Sanchez still on the injured list, and, and two of your best pitcher pitchers Severino and Batances still yet to throw off mounds to say. If those guys don't get healthy, is the roster good enough to win a World Series? I don't know. I don't know that it is. I'm not making a declaration. I'm bringing up the topic. Yeah, I mean, again, no idea. No idea until we get to that point. But what I do know is that DJ LeMahieu is the MVP of this team. Because when he comes back, uh, when he, he came back on, uh, on Friday night, I mean, the guy was an automatic. He comes back and he uh, brings life to that lineup. He plays every single position in the field. Like, I'm convinced that he could be a gold glove center fielder at this point. He could probably catch. He could probably pitch. He could do everything. He comes out, uh, hits a couple home runs in the series. The guy is unbelievable. And, and what, what he is, he's a cog to this lineup. And he makes this lineup so different and so dangerous that I think a lot of other guys, whether they're the starters or they are you know, of the replacement level player, they feed off of what he does because he's such a constant when he's in that lineup. And, uh, you know, keeping him healthy, that's probably one of the more important things. Him and Judge got to stay healthy for the rest of the season. Uh, do you think that TJ LeMahieu could play second and first base at the same, at the same time? time? Probably, yes. That six-foot-three frame, yeah. He could probably lay out and do that. He's got, the, uh, he's got that, that quick burst. Couple, I like him. I like him for anything. Couple opposite field home runs. One, one, uh, not a cheap shot to the bullpen in right center field. Then he's got a little short porch home run, a little line drive over the wall, just absolutely devastating. Chris Sale, um, who did you hear the quote? Yeah, that he likes hitting homers. Yeah, it's fun. Who doesn't like hitting homers? He likes hitting home runs. It's fun. Chris Sale now against the Yankees this season, four games, nine point nine ERA, twenty innings pitched, twenty eight hits, twenty two earned runs. Hate to see it. Hate to see it. <laughs> no, but see, that's, those- this is the thing where if you're the Red Sox or a Red Sox fan and you're saying, just get us to the playoffs, just get us to that one game uh, wild card, and then, you know, anything can happen. Why do you think that? Chris Sale's having a terrible year. Dave, you trust David Price? I don't think so. So I, th- that, I don't see how the Red Sox, unless things absolutely do a 180 at this point, have much hope for the season. No, and I don't care. That's that's great. Good. I'm I'm glad. Bury them, step on their throats, do whatever you got to do. They're not pitching well. You know, if if it's if it's a thing like uh the he's not pitching well, or the Yankees are just coming up there and, and destroying him, and uh, and making him miss his spots because he's trying to be too perfect. That's also a possibility. I think he's just not there. And uh, the way that the Yankees have handled it, I mean, like guys like Arshella are are it's Gio Arshella who's doing damage against Chris Sale too. It's not like. Uh, you know, all these other guys, LeMahieu is doing damage. Like, but Urshela, like, he's such a beautiful story this year because he's coming up and continues to mash, just continues to mash, takes two freaking foul balls last night off of his legs. I mean, after the injuries, we're looking at, we're looking at Gio Urshela. Uh, this is after um, we've, we've seen, you know, multiple things happen during this, during this, during this series uh, of injuries. And Gio Urshela steps up. Hard as hell, fouls a ball off of his knee or just above his knee. And then what, a pitch or two later, fouls another ball off a shin, off the other leg. It's like, you know, <laughs> you, you, you pan to the dugout and, and all the Yankees are just kind of shaking their heads in disbelief and laughing about it because what else do you do at this point? Didi's up there on the, on the top step with the uh, catcher's gear, like, my, like asking if he wants all the catcher's gear. But you know what? It's, uh, the, the crowd started going, 
you know, crazy when uh, when he stood up and said, I'm staying in this game. It was one of those cool moments because you're like, you know what? I'll foul the ball off both legs, but I'm still staying in this game. He eventually got taken out for, for defensive uh, reasons because he couldn't walk. But um, didn't he foul yeah, a ball just, off his nuts earlier in the season? I don't remember. Probably. I think I, mean, Urshela, I think it was Urshela. He hit, he hit a ball and it bounced up, bounced right up off the dirt into his nuts. Yeah, possibly. I mean, there's so many things that happened this year. I don't remember every single one of them. But uh, well, it's, yeah, it, it was uh, just awesome to see. We as fans, people people freak out. It's like, oh, the training staff needs to do something different. All these muscle injuries, all these core injuries. What is going on with this team? I don't know. How, I don't know how the players look at it. If they're just saying, oh, it's another fluke injury, or or what they're looking at. But uh, at least they're able to have fun with it. I guess have fun with the carnage. It's not even have fun with it. It's just like when you get to a point of disbelief, when you're there, like there's nothing else to do, but like, holy, I can't believe this is continuing to happen. Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those, like, you know, you're laughing at it because, uh, because there's nothing else to go for, you know, like what's the point in, uh, in looking at it the other way. One of the, I want to talk about two, two starts, two starts to um, kick off this series, which is really the, I think the most important takeaway from it is Paxton and Herman both looking really good. Yeah. So Herman goes seven innings in game one on Saturday. I bring him up first because that was the first Yankee starter to go seven innings since CC Sabathia on July 6th. You were at that game in Tampa. Yankees lost that game. But it had been pretty much a full calendar month since a Yankee starting pitcher went seven. Yeah, no, it, that's uh, it was. I think that's kind of telling on, on how the month went. Um, and CC really wasn't supposed to be in that game to go seven either. Uh, so the fact that they that's why I was, remembered it because I was thinking yeah. back and I was like, I couldn't have been CC. There had to have been someone. So I looked at those games in between and it wasn't. But I remember that Sabathia start because no one, no one wants Sabathia to go seven innings. We want Paxton, Tanaka, Herman to go seven. CC, give me five and I'm good. Yeah, well, and I, we were all at that game. We had you know ninety people uh, down in Tampa, and uh, we were very shocked that CC came back out for the for the seventh inning. So it was one of those uh, just one of those starts, I guess, where where Boone was going with his guy. And um, but yeah, it's a it's a telling story because it it, it just kind of shows you the the struggles that they've been through. But the fact that her mom was able to do that. Uh, you know, on the first game of the doubleheader, Huge. obviously is big because, yeah, you know, you're, you're at a doubleheader. You pitching is a concern for any doubleheader. You got Chance Adams up as the 26th man um, and he pitched uh, during the day. So you, you want you want to make sure that you're you're leaving as many bullets as you can uh, on the table for that second game. And um, and he was he was awesome, man. He was really good. No walks too. one of the big things. Seven K's uh, scattered some hits, scattered a couple home runs. All good. So. <clears throat> He's at 104 innings. We, we've, we've known about this. Are they going to put him on an innings limit? Are they going to start to limit it? And there's really been no formal plan set, but we still think, I still think it's a thing. The Yankees have acknowledged that his innings is a thing. We're going to start to see it soon. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to see it. It's going to be it'll be interesting to see how this this happens and they're not going to talk about it. They, they really haven't talked about this type of thing since Jabba after the, the whole backlash from that. I was listening to the I forget who it was Sirius somebody when I was driving I think it was Sirius Radio, and uh, apparently Jabba Chamberlain owns a bar now in Nebraska at, at, at I assume at the university around there, I don't really know that but um, called Chamberlain's it's his own bar he's bartending on the weekends, but they were they were they were talking about how he um, I guess somebody spoke with him and like the one thing that he regrets is that wanted to be a starter the entire time. And like, he, he'd like to see how that his career would have planned out if that were the case. 
Um, but ever since then, because they put all those rules on him, the job of rules, and, and you know, it was out in the public, they've been criticized and, and they don't want that scrutiny at this point. So they're not probably going to say anything about it or give us any kind of formal plan. We're just going to see what happens with our eyes and uh, maybe a phantom IL thing here and there or a skip start. Who knows? The job. But I think they're definitely going to be ready. They're going to make him make damn sure that he's ready for the playoffs because he's oh you have a one or two. You have to have him ready for the playoffs. So do whatever you need to do between now and like September fifteenth to limit his innings. But then get him a couple starts on full regular normal rest where he can go six plus innings before the playoffs. That has to be the plan. I don't care if you shut him down for the last two weeks in August. They don't need him in the last two weeks of August. Yeah. Cone was talking about that and, and like talking about how um, how it's preferred if you do something like that. And, you know, basically talking about like managing the innings now, making sure that you, you get to a point where now, you know, now or the next few weeks where he's able to totally ramp back up before the playoffs and not have it where he's still ramping up mm-hmm. at the playoff point, you know, like making sure that he's going full steam into the playoffs. I mean, it's got a very person to person. I don't know. There's two ways to approach it. One, you shut him down for a couple week period, or two, you push him back and starts, and he starts like instead of every five days, he starts every seven or eight days. Yeah, or or you limit the starts that he's out there as well. I mean, you could do that too, you where you're could, you're not going as many pitch counts. I, I worry about the the. I mean, we have seen him get go down. Um, he, you know, he had that injury obviously around the uh, around the All Star break. And then right back up, and he's been very good. So he's he's shown that he could do that. But how many times do you want to do that? How many times do you want to you know get a guy like completely not throwing and then try to find that rhythm again? It's it's a it's a very tricky situation to make sure that he continues, you know, to be throwing at such a high level because right now he's uh, he's he's definitely the best Yankees pitcher, and um, they better they better get this right. His two starts against the Red Sox this last week. I think the one last Sunday we talked about, even though it was only five plus innings. The fact that he gave them something, some semblance of a, of a good start at Fenway where all their pitchers have been getting crushed, to, to not get swept was a huge game, I thought, for him. And then to back it up in the first game of a doubleheader to go seven innings, those two starts when you combine them together and think about the significance of them, I think is huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is one of those things when you're looking at what Herman's done and the fact that he came out in this game knowing knowing what what's on the line here. Um, and, and not not that it's like, you know, they have to win these games. It wasn't like that, but it was more of a a, a dominance effort. You know, like let's show show them exactly. No, he's who going we up against Chris Sale. Right he's going up against yeah. Chris Sale in the first game of a doubleheader at home. At home, knowing that that it's such a, it's an important game for the crowd for the the team to just you know get into a good place um, and to con- continue the momentum that they had from the night before. So. It's uh, it was it was awesome to see. It really was, and I love his the way that he competes out there, the way that he mixes the pitches, the way that he just doesn't look like anything bothers him, and, and I love that. He's really taken that Severino role. It really has, and and I'm you know maybe we're credited. We should credit some of the, uh, you know, the way that he has learned from what he saw from Severino too, because I mean like demeanor wise, they look very similar in the sense that they both like look like there's no situation too big doesn't seem like a lot bothers them even if they get in some trouble they just kind of push forward and I think that was a big deal for Severino um, you know getting over that hump coming from the bullpen into that starting role kind of accepting the fact that he's going to be the number one of the team and I think Herman's in that in that zone he's in that zone saying yeah let's not over let's not this is not to take away from Domingo Herman, but he's not Luis Severino 
he's not that far off right uh, now, man. He, I mean, when you, he's he's literally got some of the best swing and miss stuff in baseball, and he's backing it up, and he's going now deeper into games at times. He's been great. He's but he, he's striking out a lot of guys too. Luis Severino was a top five starting pitcher in baseball the last two years. Domingo Herman is not a top five starting pitcher in baseball. So he's goddamn close. Okay. I'm not saying Herman sucks. What I'm saying is Severino is even on another level than what we're seeing from Herman now when Severino is going right, which is why he's so important to this team, which is why he was the stabilizing force in, in a rotation that was otherwise unstable the last two seasons. The, the big difference between them with optics as well, and I know um, that you you love this type of guy too for, for your number one ace type guy because for a while the word ace was a dirty word in the Yankees world. And when you see Severino come up and blowing guys away at 98, 99 miles per hour. In the eighth inning. In the eighth inning, the, the, the type of guy that has that type of gas, like that's, I mean, I know you well enough to know that that's your ace. Like, that's the guy that you Oh, need that to doesn't get you excited, Scott? That doesn't no, it get, does, it but doesn't when, get the pant. But Herman, doesn't get but you the want to know what gets a little tight. What gets me excited is that high changeup in the eighth inning that people are flailing no, at looking that high changeup scares the shit out of me. Right, because you can't handle it. I love seeing because that high changeup for a punch-out pitch. I have nightmares of Alex Bregman or Nelson Cruz taking an 86-mile-an-hour belt-high changeup to the friggin' moon. The beautiful thing about that is that Domingo Herman doesn't throw it when you're expecting it, and that's why it looks so beautiful. So, um, yeah, they're different types of pitchers. Herman's got a lot more of, uh, uh, you know, north and south, whereas, whereas Severino's coming right at you. Um, and we'll throw the ball down and make you look dumb. But Herman's got a lot of tricks in his book. So, yes, they're not the same type of pitchers, but the production output, pretty goddamn close. Uh, quickly on the Jabba rules that we were talking about, that thing needs its own, like, Yankees version of a 30 for 30 because it was so scrutinized and so uh, under a microscope because we hadn't had a young starting pitcher that came through our system in forever to that point in 2007 that we could get excited about or 2008 when the Jabba rules were really in effect. And we just, like... Everything Jabba did, we had to overanalyze and the rules where it was just such a debacle because every time he went out there, he didn't look good. And they're like, oh, no, the Jabba rules. We're like, well, the Jabba rules aren't working. So that was a weird time to be a Yankees fan, 2008. Yeah, I mean, it worked out the, the next year, but the uh, it was because it, he was so exciting. I mean, no he, was like, he, was, he was must-see TV. You know, while he was in the bullpen for a while, like he was an automatic out. He was an automatic get out of the get out of the inning uh, card for a while there. And uh, it just, you know, in the offseason, I think they screwed it all up and it just never really got back on the rails. The, the goddamn midges, man, should have taken him out of the game. Should have stopped the game. Pat, Torrey should have stopped the game. Yeah, his number one regret as Yankee manager, yeah. Joe Torrey. Yep. Uh, Paxton. So, <laughs> Paxton. Uh, let me start with Paxton. Let me lead into this one because you're going to spin it. I already know what you're saying. I can see it in your head. Oh, no. I wasn't going to spin anything. I, I was, I was going to talk glowingly about James Paxton. But Except ahead. for the first inning. <laughs> no, I so, was going to say, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm gonna, the, James Paxton was awesome. And for the, when you're watching in that first inning, and I'm looking like first batter, second batter, I'm like, oh, like he looks really, really good. Found a bat with J.D. Martinez, a pitch that went over the fence. I'm sitting there like, I can't believe that happened because he looked really, really good, looked different than, than we had seen. And then he comes back out and does prove that like I was different today. Just found that bat. J.D. Martinez is really good. And I'm, I'm going to show you guys that I do feel different today because he looked freaking awesome. Uh, rolling that, that four-seam fastball looked good. He was keeping it away from right-handed bats. Uh, and 
throwing 98 miles an hour, like just on a, on a, on a rope. I thought that's the guy that we needed to see. He was mixing up his pitches, um, but he was staying away with that fastball too and staying on the, uh, on the outsides of the plates, not over the heart of the plate for the majority of the time. And I thought he was really good. He used his fastball in and out on batters really, really well. And he even mixed up his pitch mix. So 26% four-seam fastball, 26% sinker, 28% cutter, 19% curveball. Prior to that, he had been essentially over 50% four-seam fastball. Did not really use his sinker at all prior, prior to that game. So we yeah. saw a lot more two-seam fastballs where he was using his four-seam fastball up in the zone, two-seam fastball away and low, cutter in on righties, and a little bit more knuckle curveballs, which is one of his better pitches when it's, when it's going right. And yes, he hung a curveball on the J.D. Martinez home run. That shit happens. I don't even care about the J.D. Martinez home run. What I was more angry about was a two-out walk. I think that I – mean, <laughs> because that's how he gets himself in trouble in the first inning. It's his first inning. He still has like an 11 ERA in the first inning. Yeah, and then after that, he's got like a two-something, doesn't he? Okay, it's, great. It's, it's unbelievable. So I think that that you obviously everybody like melted down after they saw that because I think people were getting excited because he looked good. Um, but yeah, I look, he's building off of this. This is a this is a guy, and and if you're looking at those at those percentages for all those people who absolutely hate Larry Rothschild, twenty-six percent uh, four seam, twenty-six percent sinker, twenty-eight percent cutter, nineteen percent curve. That's Larry Rothschild effect right there. That is a, a I think a direct. Um, correlation. Mm, with, if it were with Larry Rothschild, he would be throwing ninety-one percent curveballs. Well, no, because he's mixing it up. I think that it's overblown that he throws that Larry Rothschild only likes curveballs. He likes to see more curveballs, but he likes to see change in uh, in velocity and and change it with the with the batter's perspective. And that's why he doesn't throw as many fastballs. So he, I think he does affect. It depends on who who's throwing. But I think when you see that mu- that big of a mix right there, I, I think that's definitely them tinkering with what he's doing. Yeah, he was. So the, the, the hard mix here, four-seam sinker cutter, is different. But when he was going well in, in, in Seattle, he was basically four-seam fastball curveball. Those were his two, yeah. those were his two pr- predominant pitches. Okay, but you're still, when you're, when you're throwing in that sinker and that cutter, now you're getting different action on that fastball. So you're, you're changing up the hard stuff and then also throwing the curve, um, you know, again, 20% of the time. That's a that's a that's a big difference, and I, I think one of the big things that Larry Rothschild, the reason why he likes the curveball so much, because everybody's hitting fastballs today in today's baseball, um, it's because of the differences in pitches. Like I I think the, the the big thing with him is that he doesn't like to live totally off of that fastball. Um, he likes to change it up more, and and I you know even if if it's the hard stuff because he's really good with his hard stuff, and obviously when he's throwing it out of his hand, they're trying to get that that feeling and that look from the batter to look very similar, but with different action. And they're getting that with some of the hard stuff uh, by throwing four seam sinker cutter. So what we saw this weekend was what the pitching staff can be when it's going right. And what we saw the prior two weeks is what the pitching staff can be when everything is going wrong. And I think it's unfair to say it's one or the other. It's not black or white. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. That's why. That's why you don't overreact to the bad, and you don't over overly uh, get optimistic and, and like confident on, on the very good. There, there is a middle ground. So I looked up some. That's baseball, Susan. I looked up some numbers since the start of June first, which is a large sample size, and I didn't even include the last uh, two weeks of the season because I think again that's an outlier towards the negative. So June first to July twenty first, right before they went to Minnesota and the starting pitching shit hit the fan. 
The Yankees starting pitching had a 477 ERA, a 494 FIP, uh, a 102 ERA minus, slightly below league average, and a 3.32 K to walk ratio. It's middle of the road. It's a middling starting rotation, which is probably what it actually is. And in that time, Tanaka, 46 innings pitched, 5.21 ERA. But you want to take out the London start? I think that's fair to take out the London start. I don't think it's fair uh, to take out the uh, 12 spot at Fenway. But those numbers aren't even in here because I ended it at July 21st. So without London, 46 innings with a 4.18 ERA. That's probably what Tanaka is. I think it, it, well, you're, you're seeing also an ERA bump on, on a lot of guys. <laughs> just because of the way the balls are flying out of the park, too. But, um, yeah, I mean... No, you're, you're seeing home run per nine bump. You're not seeing an ERA bump because overall scoring is not up. The deal is is that I, I need to see them progress and then catch fire towards the end of the season. That's it. That's and, what you're and, banking and, on. You're banking that, on well, all the starting what, that's pitchers what getting bank, hot that's in what, September and October. That's what every team banks on. That's literally what every team banks on. Every team wants your rotation to be geared up that's and ready scary. to go. There's a different type of thing. Well, it's the it's what happens. There's a different type of, of, of mentality and feeling when you get to playoff baseball and you want your guys to be right and ready to go. And we've we've seen that that Tanaka has has been that guy. He's a big game guy, likes pitching um, and, and and does effectively pitch different. So if, for all the nerds out there that say, you know, big games, pressure, all this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't really get into it. Like, well, that's bullshit. No, that's not Tanaka what the nerds will tell Tanaka's you. A better what pitcher. the nerds will tell you is that 2017 October means jack shit for 2019 October. And that's a fact. It means jack shit. Well, uh, okay. But it also does show me the mentality of a pitcher. It shows me how uh, a guy that, that doesn't look like there's any deficiency in the way he's throwing, any, any velocity drop, any of that stuff that you look for for a guy that's, that's losing his stuff. That's not there. We haven't seen that. Uh, so I, I don't know why it's too much of a difference. Well, no, we've seen his splitter not have the same depth and movement and been crushed this year when in yeah, 2017 in that season, was his best pitch. Earlier in the season, I think we've seen much better Tanaka. I mean, granted, like you said, there have been spots um, that have been bad. But for me, again, when you're looking at a guy over a longer period of time, you throw out the top and the bottom and see what he is. I'm not saying Tanaka is going to go into the playoffs and get crushed. I'm not saying that by any means. And out of all the starting pitchers, that are currently on the roster, I probably trust him the most in a playoff start. But I'm not saying he's going to automatically give you a shutdown performance in the playoffs because what I'm looking at is his season stats in 2019. I'm putting more weight in those than the 2017 playoff run, which was phenomenal. It was a fantastic playoff run in 2017, and he had a good enough start to get a win or to get the team a win in the one start he had in 2018. So, Yes, in two playoff start in two playoffs over the last two years, he has been good, but he's been bad this year. So I'm weighing what I'm seeing most recently out of Tanaka more than what I saw one to two years ago, and I think that's fair. I'm not saying he's going to suck. I'm not saying he's going to be lights out. What I'm saying is it's a question mark, just like James Paxton going into the playoffs is a question mark. What I saw out of James Paxton on Friday night is the James Paxton that I hoped he could be, where he is. Absolutely overpowering hitters. And after the first inning, he allowed two hits. Yankees pitching allowed two hits after the first inning. He completely shut the best lineup in baseball down. Okay? He has that capability. Is he going to do that in the playoffs? I have no goddamn clue. Nobody does because nobody's seen it. So that's, 
That's kind of the point. You just you want to you want to see the progress. So it's really the point you said there. a couple minutes ago. Every team is just banking on their starting pitching getting hot at the right time. Like is that yeah. that is such that's every team I in know baseball. That. I, they, I agree. they want their whole team to get going. We all know that whoever's playing hottest at, towards the end of the season, whoever's going the best, has a really good chance to run. Yes, uh, in the playoffs, that that happens every that single is, year. Don't you agree? That's terrifying. And like, what is the point of this? No. What is the point of all of this? Because they have to, because that's the, it's a battle of attrition. They got to go out there and prove that they can be this whole, this team during the season and then still get hot. It's a, you got to show that. That's baseball. That's why you have 162 games. That's why you have to go out there with the, with the, with these guys and, and you're basically at a war. You're not worried about the battles as much. And you got to make sure that you're in a position at the end to then make a, 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 as good of a run as you possibly can. And you also better have guys that know damn well what's at stake towards the end of the season and what's coming up. And when you have those types of guys, and that's why when you have a young team in 2016, 2017, make you know, do better than you're ever expecting, um, those those moments when you look back and you're you're looking at right now uh, the, the 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 potential roster and what these guys have done as far as um, experience in the playoffs, it's so it, it was so crucial that these guys had this this playoff experience that they got to uh, uh, you know an out or two away from the World Series in 2017. Like all of that stuff now is is banked. It's all built into the back of their minds and into their muscle memories, and they've seen it. And no 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 moment is too big for them. And all that stuff is really important. And you won't find it in any nerd category ever. A couple quote, interesting quotes from Brian Cashman. First of all, he said, if Debbie Garcia helps the major league club, it'll be out of the bullpen. So if we do see him as a September call-up, that's where it'll be. And then Cashman on WFAN also said, if Keuchel wanted to be here, he would have come here. If this is the place he wanted to be, he would have demanded for his agent to call us directly back. Yeah. All right. I, that kind of goes to the point where I, I think that you and I were both circling around like there was something weird about that whole negotiation. Um, and then, uh, yeah, why, why wasn't there a dialogue after they knew what they were going to get from, from Atlanta to say, hey, the Yankees will probably give us more? I don't think he cared. I think that it was going to be marginal. If it was, they probably would have beaten the offer, but it would have been marginal and he would have preferred to go to Atlanta. So, I mean, that's if you talk to A-Rod, he wanted to be a New York Yankee. Can we talk about how bad A-Rod was last night? He was freaking terrible. Talking about Jacoby Ellsbury, listing him as one of the better players in Yankees. Talking about... Talking about right center field in Yankee Stadium. Upper deck, right center field. Upper deck in right center field. It doesn't exist. It's not even, it's not a thing. What are you talking about? He, he literally makes things up to go along with whatever. He like spits bullshit out of his mouth as he's talking. So, uh, so crazy. You, you ever watched The Office? Of course I've watched The Office. You know, you remember that quote by Michael Scott where he said he starts sentences sometimes and he doesn't know where it's going or where yes, it's going. Yes, that's A-Rod. A-Rod. Yeah. He starts sentences and he doesn't know where he's going or what's going to come out of his mouth next and he doesn't know where it's going to end, but we'll just find out when he gets there. And and it's because like there's there's like a general script on what he's supposed to say, but it's not fully laid out, not fully typed out there yeah, in fourth the, inning. Uh, fourth inning is when you catch A-Rod all the way through his uh his notes and that's when you get pull out stuff. Pull out stuff, right? Exactly. I mean, even with the notes, I think he's terrible. But the uh, yeah, he was he was especially bad last night. They they were all really bad. They've really got to change that booth. It's terrible. Uh, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, I think, has the lowest ratings in like the last twenty years this year. It does is not that, is that me. the ESPN booth though, or is that just people don't want to watch four hour baseball games on Sunday night? Well, they they bumped them up to you know the seven o'clock start, so I th- that should help matters. So I think the I think now you're also seeing some of that booth influence. I. 
people outside of New York, outside of the, the little A reticence when when and I think that's wearing off, honestly. No, he got but, a standing yeah. ovation at Yankee Stadium last night. Well, that's fine, but I still think it's wearing off a little bit. He's uh he doesn't have a contract with the Yankees any longer. Like there's no a formal relationship with them. Nobody anymore. still says that, we. That went under the radar. Nobody really talked about that, but that's a thing. Um the fact that they just like, eh, let's let's not talk about this, but we're also not going to redo it. Like we were just trying to get you through that contract and get some do semblance of something. Do you think though that has anything to do with the fact that he's on two networks? What the that they said uh, we're going to stop this relationship? Yes, he's on. I don't think it has anything to do with him really, he going has to spring a, training. He has and a do, job with them. ESPN and Fox. No, I don't think I don't think that matters. I think that I think that they. Uh, they wanted to keep the, the everything cordial for a while, and now they'll probably just slowly distance themselves a little bit, or or not. They'll just kind of tread water. No, they're still going to either way. He's they're he's still going to keep him at arm's length, which is exactly where you want a Rod to be. You don't yes. want a Rod to be completely uh, cut off from the organization because fans do like a Rod. I know you don't like a Rod, but plenty of Yankee fans love a Rod. So you still That's want funny. him to be quote unquote a Yankee, but you don't want him getting paychecks anymore signed by the Steinbrenners and you don't want him having titles like yes he'll be invited to spring training and it'll be yeah, oh yeah he'll be a special it'll, instructor it'll be a nice that. little week where A-Rod's in spring training back in his back in his uh, warm-up jersey and his high socks and his purple lips and and his bubble gum and he's doing weird things interviews where he he'll, his, and he'll do the interviews he kicks his heel into his ass when he runs he'll do that and it'll be he fine run he he prances. prances it'll be fun yeah, it's a. Uh, can I also? So, can I just talk about this Keiko quote from from Cashman? Yeah. Wah, the agent didn't call me back. Wah. Shut up, Cashman. No, why Cashman? <laughs> That's uh, he said. If he didn't want it, then they would have called me back. It's not him crying about it. It's saying that the reason the deal didn't get done is because there was no oh, other dialogue. Cashman didn't like the negotiations from Scott Boris. When is when is Scott Boris ever known to be an asshole? Oh, I don't know. Every single negotiation. But he's not talking about that. You're totally missing the point here. The whole point is, is essentially what he's saying is, is if they, there was a continued dialogue, he'd probably be a Yankee. That's what he's saying. No, there probably would have been a bidding war and the Yankees wouldn't have gone over their 11.6 million. I don't think there would have been. Any, I think that he would. No, I, I think they absolutely would have. I think that they would have gone uh, and they would have secured the deal if, uh, if there was continued dialogue. If but there was If Brian Cashman told. You can't do anything if you're not talking. If Brian Cashman told the agent and, and Keuchel when they made that original offer. Hey, come back to us after you get another offer and we, we will do our best to beat it, match it or beat it. That's one thing. I don't think that's what they said. Even if you did say that, the fact that you say that, do our best to match it or beat it. Again, like I said, it's uh, Dallas Keiko looking at that and be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's not really where I want to be. I don't care if it's an extra million bucks. I, I, I think that's a real thing. And then the, but we're all speculating on, on what happened behind closed doors. There was so. a... Uh, there was, yeah, and Cashman's sort of, he's sort of whining about it. He's not whining about it. People asked him a question, he answered it. Astros GM, I saw this clip on Twitter. Um, he, he was asked about why they decided to add uh, Zach Greinke. And he said, we have a chance to win a World Series. The last thing I wanted to do is leave a stone unturned and, knock, and knocked out in October and wonder what would have happened if we hadn't acquired another piece. So kind of a different mentality that the Astros are taking where they will take on a huge contract in Granky, they'll take that risk of him sucking the next couple of years, and they're stra- uh, straddled with a larger contract, just like they did with Verlander. But the upside of winning a World Series this year is worth it for them. So it's just a different approach than the Yankees, I think, are taking at this moment. And maybe it's not the Yankees taking on contract with Granky, but it's 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 
letting prospects go to acquire a, a pitcher at the deadline that they maybe thought was maybe a, a prospect too much cost-wise, but they will take that on. They'll take that risk. They'll eat that cost to win a World Series this year. Well, I think uh, there's also a larger picture here because Garrett Cole is a free agent coming up, and they almost essentially alluded to the fact that they're not going to be in on re-signing him, which is a, a, kind of a strange thing to say at this point in the season. But that, that's exactly what they were talking about. Uh, so you're looking at this, and the way that, that, that it lines up for the future is that Greinke is basically taking that Garrett Cole spot for next year. So it, it, you know, it makes some semblance of sense when you're looking at future roster construction. Um, you know, I don't see this as anything. It's hard to compare this to anything what the Yankees did because I, I kind of I do believe that if if the uh, the Yankees actually had an opportunity at Granky, that it would have been a different story. Like I think Granky is the different type of pitcher that you you can do that with. And the the truth is the 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 hard fact is that Granky had a no trade to the Yankees, did not waive it. It was never an option. It was never even on the table. So. It's hard to criticize anybody in the thinking or even speculate on it because he wasn't even an option. And nobody else out there is Zach Granke. What do you mean? I mean, like the caliber of, of pitcher. I don't think anybody else that was available is Zach Granke. Oh, yeah. I mean, I he, was, by he, far, was he's the most scenario. stable. He was a unique scenario this year where it's you're not giving up really any young assets. You're just agreeing to take on salary for a good well i mean pitcher. some young assets but not 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 your top young assets but at the same what i mean like caliber wise when i'm looking at caliber pitcher like zach Granke to me is above um uh, bauer and bauer is above stroman so when you're looking at the uh the tier of, of quality out there i mean i think zach Granke was by far the elite uh pitcher out there because he's done it for so long and he's proved that you know he can he can do it in um you know, extended period of time, even when you don't have your best stuff. He's got so much in the kitchen sink that he could throw at you that you, you, you trust that guy uh, in a different way than you do the other two. They also got Aaron Sanchez, who threw no, six no-hit innings. It's like, wouldn't it just be perfectly Houston where they turn Aaron Sanchez back into a good young pitcher? Yeah, and perfectly Toronto for them just ruining him. The, uh, well, I mean, this probably what's happening, right? Like, they, they've spun magic before. Uh, the, their pitching, their pitching coach staff in Houston has worked wonders with guy. We saw it, um, Garrett Cole. There he, was that uh, clip. There was that little blurb from um, uh, that was sent in our our chat back yeah. in about uh, a book, uh, the MVP machine, talking about it. And they had, I think, talking oh, about the mentality of the, the mentality first about uh, the first conversations and what the Houston staff does when they're analyzing pitchers to acquire, and they identify things to really. Uh, get them to the next level and to promote their best assets and say, hey, with with Garrett Cole, uh, Pittsburgh was making them throw a lot of two seamers. And they're like, that's not you. You, you go in four seamers and curveballs. You're going to strike out a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did the same thing with Charlie Morton and the spin rate, too. So like they find the magic bullet for each one of these guys and, and they exploit it uh, to a point where, you know, they find their success back. And I, I mean, you, you think about that mentality. It makes a hell of a lot of sense is, oh, oh go back to what they're good at like that's not that foreign of a concept it's pretty pretty uh pretty blatant in your face concept if you think about it if you like dumb it down and just like go to what they're what they're good at it's not that not that that bold of a concept they seem to what do they it do better they than do it a lot well. of other teams they though. do it very well there's no doubt about it you can't de can't deny it and you know Aaron Sanchez is a guy who has been has battled the blisters you know that's one of those things where you get later in the season and um apparently the blisters become a bigger problem soft soft skin on the on the uh and when I say soft, I mean UI. Like, you know, he's a little bit of a, a fingertip uh, darling over there. You, you know, you never know when it's going to start bleeding. 
So, uh, but they they backloaded that that whole that whole rotation. Now it's like it's deep. It's just it's oh, so it's deep. by far the best rotation in baseball. And you're gonna go up in a playoff series against Verlander, Cole, Greinke, and then Wade Miley, who's had a good season. Aaron Sanchez, who's had a terrible season, but he could turn it around. That's a very deep rotation in the top three. They're going to have the pitching advantage for the first three games in any playoff series, except with the, oh, yeah. with the exception of maybe the Dodgers, who would have uh, maybe a, a, a t- like you'll have it tied at the top. But in the American but, League, but probably on paper, it's still the Astros. American League, they have a pitching advantage. There's no doubt about it, and, and that's fine. It is what it is, you know. Like I, I saw a lot of things going around about how the Yankees went out and beat, um, you know, that Atlanta Braves staff a couple times, and like it happens. You see it. You see it what goes down, and and you have a uh, a team um, that are, that's that's going up against good pitching, and it doesn't always work. It's not a guarantee. And I think the Yankees can win any playoff series as long as their pitchers are giving them solid starts, six innings, two or three runs get you deeper into the game where you're not bringing in like uh, Adam Adovino with two on in the fourth inning. Like it's not going to be sustainable for, for three playoff series. Maybe, maybe. Uh, no, I don't know. It's not, it's We've, never been sustainable. It's never people been are sustainable. using the, We've, people are use uh, the argument. Oh, Kansas city won with just a bullpen in 2015. That's not true. Kansas City actually got good performances out of their starting rotation in in the uh, in the playoffs. They didn't get dominant performances, but they got five to six innings of of good performances, and then they let their bullpen take over. That is the blueprint the Yankees need to follow. Yeah, five to six innings. I believe that. That's that's you know, if you get anything more than that, it's gravy. I'll agree with that. But what the way that the Yankees are setting up, and I think the way that they're projecting now for if we're looking at and speculating what's going to happen, I mean, they're they're literally just going for depth, right? They're they're looking for as many guys that they can see can um, can put together solid performances. And the one thing I will agree with uh, with with uh, A Rod about last night that he was talking about is the the fact that, that we have dress rehearsals happening right now. Practically every pitcher on the Yankees roster right now is is petitioning and is trying out for a, a playoff spot. Uh, on on that roster because whether you're a starter or a reliever if you're throwing quality innings in that moment you're going to get very very high consideration to be on that roster we have a mailbag question about um looking forward to the playoff rotation we'll get to that in a second but first uh just uh the august 31st event tickets are on sale it's our last regular season event it is uh, against the oakland a's a potential playoff matchup as well people are kind of not talking about oakland at all yeah that's I think that's where they want to be, right? They want to lay in the weeds and uh, and try to surprise some people. But signing guys off the streets, Billy Bean with his little spotters all over the uh, Billy Bean. See, this is this is beautiful. I think Billy Bean's part of his scouting uh, department and like architecture. If you look at like you know those uh, FBI mob maps where you have like the picture at the top and then like it trickles down, you mm-hmm. see the families. Well, Billy Bean's uh, scouting tree. If you're looking at them trickle down, like the second to last. I'm not even gonna say they're the last, but second to last. Guys that run the speed pitch at all of different stadiums, they're definitely getting paid under the table to be like, yo, if you see a guy throw over 90 miles an hour, let's, uh, let's give me a call and, and, you know, crank those, crank those, uh, those machines back a couple miles per hour. So no one else sees it too. So, well, that kid threw 94, 94 through 96, with a crow, I think, with a crow hop. Through 96 uh, with, a, with a crow hop where he topped off and then gets a, 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 a uh, but deal. apparently the A's were already eyeing him. That's fine. It's a cool so, story. So, uh, uh, we had that pitch clock in Tampa, remember? Yeah. Yep. It, that thing was not accurate. So uh, I guess this one in Colorado is accurate? No, like I said, Billy Bean's making sure it's not. Okay. 
he's he's tipping people. I'm so to tell you the truth, uh, I'm surprised Tom didn't get a phone call. Colleen's husband Tom, who was throwing um, high 80s on that thing, felt 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 good, felt real good. It was uh, nice nice easy out of the hand. Possibly uh, Billy Bean was looking at it, you know, to make it to seeing if he needed to to, to sign this guy. Probably didn't didn't help matters that we were all drunk around him screaming. <laughs> uh, let's get to, oh, so August 31st tickets, uh, 69 bucks, game ticket, pregame party, t-shirt, all the good stuff. Last regular season event. Get in. I know a lot of people have already bought tickets. They've been tweeting us. It's going to be uh, a really fun time and definitely not a thousand degrees like it was last time. I, I'm having a good feeling about that. Hopefully not. All right. Uh, we got a bunch of mailbags. First one up is from Eric. Yanks screwed up last year. No Corbin and this year, no Keuchel or any trades. I think they want to win a world series, but only with the blessing of the geeks and their analysis. Just kidding. But trading for and acquiring pitching is one of Cashman's weaknesses. A great GM, but Yanks decision might cost them a world series this year. I hope not. So I definitely think we've talked about this, but uh, I just wanted to run down Cashman's starting pitcher acquisition history is definitely the black mark on his resume. So trades that he made and have not worked out in the past, Sonny Gray, Michael Pineda, Javi Vasquez twice, Jeff Weaver, uh, trades that he didn't make or signings that he decided were not worth it. Um, like Eric said, Corbin, Verlander, Cole Hamels, uh, Garrett Cole. So remember Cole Hamels last year? Yeah. We were saying, ah, Cole Hamels, he's done. No one wants him. Well, he has a 2-7 ERA in 170 innings pitch with the Cubs. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're he I mean he's he's a he's another one of those guys where I'm looking at like what he's done in the postseason too. You're like, okay, like I, I could feel good about this guy too. Um, but I wouldn't also be surprised in the regular season if he fell off a cliff because he's definitely climbing up there in age. And then free agent signings that I think have been questionable. Um Burnett, Hap, Kayagawa, Carl Pavano, Jared Wright, Kevin Brown. So it's definitely one of those things that he just he has an eye for bullpen. He has built some of the best bullpens uh, over the last few seasons, better than any GM in baseball. Uh, and he's acquired pitchers, and he has young talent that has turned into good bullpen arms. And then what he's done with this everyday roster, the players, and the depth, think about all these injuries, and they're still getting guys to contribute. It's really, really amazing. But the pitching, the starting pitching, is the thing. It's like he just has... He does not – it's sort of like a blind spot for him. I mean, it is one of those, those blind spots. But I'm also – like I think some of these, uh, some of these things that we're talking about too are, are a little uh, blown up. I'm looking up some numbers as I'm talking. But um, I mean, even like when, when you look at the trades, okay? So the, the J-Hop trade, uh, I've tried to talk about this and, and remind people that when he did trade for J-Hop and, and if you're trying to look at acquisitions and what Cashman has done to project him into the season, into the second half of the season and try to give his team the best opportunity to win. Jay Happ was goddamn good when he acquired him. Um, didn't lose a game in the second half when he was with the Yankees and pretty much was exactly what they needed. Didn't give you the, the, um, the performance that you wanted in the playoffs. But again, that's, that was a, um, you know, one start that you're looking uh, against Boston the narrative didn't help him because that the reason they acquired him was because of his you know his uh, his dominance against Boston. So that didn't help matters. But for the majority of the time, it was pretty good. Hard to judge an acquisition off of one start. And and even Sonny Gray, like he wasn't the guy that I think we expected. But in that second half, when they acquired him, he wasn't terrible. He was like he was okay, uh, but he wasn't he wasn't the guy that we saw the next year. I mean, he wasn't that guy at all. The trade still makes sense uh, for Sonny Gray, but 
I think one thing that you can criticize Cashman for is not properly identifying the personality. And that's hard to do. But I don't know how... It, should, it wouldn't have been hard if they talked to the beat writers. That's what I was going to say. We had... Uh, I forget her name. Um, we had someone from Oakland on. Yes. And, and she was like... When, I, when they heard the news that Sonny was going to New York, they were surprised. Like, oh, how is this going to work? It was it was one of the it was one of my dying questions when I when we were talking and I was like I, I need to know because this was when did we talk to her like. this was after it was after the uh, after oh the this deadline. was before the wild card game last year right before the Yankees faced Oakland in the wild card game last year so it had been a, like a full season of Sonny Gray uh, yeah it was it was uh, um and it was uh, Susan Slusser was who who we spoke with and she was the 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 one basically saying. Sonny Gray was exactly like this in Oakland. She, he, he couldn't handle the media. Like he, we, he gave a lot of awkward answers. And, and uh, basically when the trade happened, they were all like, um, pretty sure this isn't going to work in New York. And, and, and a lot of that was because of the way he talked. So yeah, when you're looking at the different you know, ways that they're uh, analyzing a guy and, and, and taking in what he is, certainly the mindset of a, of a player... Um, you know, either has been overlooked or just over-evaluated or wrongly evaluated. But I, I think that's why we I, we were applauding the James Paxton move. The, the James Paxton move is also one of those moves that if you're criticizing Cashman on that James Paxton move, like you're, you're Monday morning quarterbacking the entire thing because everybody loved that move. It was a good move. I'm not, and I'm not saying it's still it's, a good move. I'm not saying I'm not it's saying a disaster. Ju- I'm not saying you and I'm not saying it's a disaster either. But the, the thing is, is that when he's... When he's uh, when you're looking at the type of player that you're looking for, the type of guy that you want, the guy that throws hard has the potential to be kind of a horse, uh, throws, you know, to be that that guy in the playoffs. Like he fits the bill. So yes, um, and, and, and if and Paxton goes right. out, if Paxton goes out in the playoffs this year and has a good playoff run, you're going to completely forget about his struggles in the regular season and say this was a great move. Cashman identified someone who can pitch a big game. But I and I'm sorry, it was not Susan Slusser. It was Jane Lee who we spoke with. Jane Lee, sorry. Um, so, but I, I just think there's, it's tough to, uh, for, for Cashman when he's acquiring these pitchers, I think one thing it's hard to analyze is how these pitchers are going to react to the scenario of New York. And a lot of times I think it's fair to say you don't really know. Yeah. You could talk to beat writers and they could say it's not going to work. But it then still could work out. You never know until it's in the in the situation. So I'm not necessarily criticizing the Sunny Gray move itself because that was still a great move. So one of the things too that we talked about, like you're 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 not banking on Tanaka for and, and kind of throwing away what he did in 2017. And all I'm not throwing well, it away. I'm I'm just waiting it. Not not using it. Not using it as much right now. But when you're looking at some of these acquisitions, like the Verlander thing, he was struggling in um, Detroit at that point. I mean. It, Again, the stuff was not really diminished. You saw some of the performance that wasn't as, as much there. Who knows really what that was about? Um, Cole Hamill's a similar guy. Both guys very much proven in big games late in the season and, and just kind of knowing that they're built for that type of thing. They're built for, and I think some guys are just different in that sense. And I think Tanaka kind of lines up with that. Like this Patrick Corbin move, I'm interested to see how he's going to do in the playoffs. Maybe he'll be dominant. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen what he can do. So that's an unknown. Maybe the Nats um, don't get to the playoffs. Maybe the Nationals get to the playoffs. It's it's a very good possibility. Uh, but there are just some guys when you can you look at who they are and their makeup and what they've done in the past, and you just feel good about it. Um, oh God, what was I going to say? You brought you brought up something. What were you talking about right before that? 
I don't know. But the, the, the Tanaka thing. Oh, I mean, sorry. That's like one of the big things. Verlander. Verlander, um, yeah. <laughs> people, Yankees fans have such short memories. They forget that at the time we said, oh, Yankees got, got a better situation in acquiring Sonny Gray than Justin Verlander. Who wants to take on all that money? We got a young Sonny Gray who's controllable, and he's going to be a cog in our rotation for the next three years. I know it didn't work out that way, but that's what everyone was saying in the summer of 2017. Dude, the amount of criticism that, ha- that is laid on Brian Cashman and the fact that the Yankees don't do shit has everything to do with people looking at the performances after the acquisitions and, and then just making their assessments based on that. If the Sonny Gray pitched the way we all thought he was going to pitch, it would be a totally different narrative. The fact is, is that he didn't. So it's easy for people to lean on the fact that Cashman has struck out on a number of places. Well, you know what? Verlander was was the opposite. They took on a ton of money and they got a guy who a lot of people thought was, you know, getting closer to the twilight of his career. Not not this this guy who's been a resurgence. Um, but again, look at the stuff. Stuff was still there. Stuff was still not diminished. And to me, that's the biggest sign. That's why I think Tanaka will be just fine. But his stuff is not the same. I just I just told you that. His splitter's getting demolished this year. Okay, his stuff's not the same. It's 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 those are tweaks. It's 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 there. Oh, because because he doesn't lost any velocity on his fastball. You're saying his stuff is the same. It's not. He doesn't have the same no. movement on his best pitch. His best pitch I'm is now one of his worst velocity. pitches. I'm saying I'm saying that there are tweaks that you can make mechanically to 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 make. I still think he's struggling to find that right spot, and yep. I think and he could find time. it. He could yeah. find it between now. I think it's a mechanical thing. I think that once he finds that spot, it's we're going to see a different guy. Between now and October 1st, he could definitely find it. And then he could be the pitcher that we hope he can be in October. And then beautiful. But I don't know. Cody. I mean, I'm just saying my predictions this year, this year have been pretty goddamn good. You know, let's just let's just all let's just all look at that. All right, next one's from Cody at Code AK22 on Twitter. What percent do you put the Yankees actually doing a bullpen game in the playoffs? So they are now 9-0 and with Chad Green opening in the regular season. He pitched the second game of the doubleheader. Yankees used seven pitchers in that game. Green, Cortez, Adams, Adovino, Canely, Britton, Chapman. Uh, and Cortez and Adams were not very good. They gave up four runs in four innings. But the rest of those guys were very good. So... What percentage do you put on using Chad Green as an opener in the playoffs? I don't know if it's going to be an opener situation with Chad Green like that, but what I think it does say, um, and Holder's been good as well since coming back so far. We saw him, uh, you know, I mean, relatively mop up a two good innings against uh, against Boston in that in that doubleheader as well. And then Chad Green last night, Chapman was unavailable, yucking it up in the uh, in the dugout with the rest of the boys. Wasn't even out in the bullpen. Chad Green comes in and, and closes that game. And it got close. I mean, it became a 7-4, three-run game. Like, tying runs were on on deck. Like, they had guys, or maybe at the plate, they had, uh, they had come back in that game. So it wasn't a uh, low-leverage situation. It, it was, Chad Green looks really good. So I don't know if they'll necessarily start with Chad Green, but what it does is it tells you that in a moment, if they see uh, an opportunity where uh, you know one of the guys that's starting the game isn't going the way that they like, they feel good about going to that pen and getting length out of a um, in in a game from from some of these guys. So again, just goes back to the depth of this team and some of the situations that they've been in. I think it's all going to pay dividends later in the season and into the playoffs because these guys have gotten a lot of experience this year. Oh nine playoffs, the Yankees did a three man rotation, and they had guys well. They had guys pitch on short rest 
but they also had the luxury of sweeping the first series, so no one had to pitch on short rest to start the next series. But then they had Sabathia and Burnett and Pettit go on short rest a couple times. I don't think they'll necessarily do a three-man rotation, but unless Severino comes back soon and can get to like four-plus innings by the time the playoffs start, they're going to use Chad Green as an opener. They will not start Sabathia or Hap instead of Chad Green. Well, no, but I, I could see, um, yeah, maybe. But again, you just know what you're well, getting. They've got Tanaka. Paxton, it's very, it's and very Herman. situationally. It's very situational. It, it, it depends on the situation. I don't think that you walk into a series with him as an opener on the on the on the uh, on the map. No, it'll be TVD, and then whatever yeah. has happened in the previous three games. But if if it's uh, say, okay. That's kind of the point. They're gonna the first five game series. They could okay? pivot. They could pivot to something like first that. First five game series. Feel good about it. They're playing. Yeah. They're playing Cleveland in in the first uh, first round of the playoffs, and it's game four, and they're up two to one. What do they do? Yeah, depending on the usage of the, if they're up two to one, that means probably you got some good starting pitching, or you're you're seeing maybe the bats come to life, and you see starting the the bullpen got them out of jams. Again, it all depends on the situation and what happened. If they need more depth, they probably don't go with Chad Green to start it. Put a percentage on it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, again, it just depends on the situation. Answer it's the impossible. damn question. It's impossible to answer this question in freaking August fifth. On August fifth, it's impossible. I don't know what happened in those first three games. If you're saying that I have to put a percentage on a on a situation that happens in August, I think this team is fluid. It doesn't. You can't. You can't say that with any level of certainty. It doesn't. I'm not make saying. Sense to I'm say not it. saying you have to say it's hundred percent or zero percent. So, but no. there's some percentage chance. Okay, fifty fifty percent. It's it's a bullshit Thank number. You. It makes no sense. It all depends on what happens in the first three games. If the bullpen is used too much because they have to come in to to save asses, then they're probably not going to do it. Then you'll see a guy like Happer Sabathia go out there. That's, yes, that's the but reality. that's part of what is a percentage. There's a percentage chance it happens. I think it's a pretty good percentage chance. I think it's over 30% that it happens, which is pretty damn likely that the New York Yankees are going to use an opener in the playoffs after they have one of the best records in baseball. This is why I don't care about the numbers. When you're looking at all these numbers projecting that far out, when I look at the baseball reference or whomever makes that stupid playoff percentage chance in freaking May and June. Oh, they have a 60% chance of making the playoffs of in June and July. I, they, that number means absolutely nothing to me. It's, it's, a, it's a number that's smoke. So, okay, 30%, 50%, 60%, 10%. It doesn't matter. You're no fun. <laughs> Does it? I, I got to see what's happening, man. Like that, that's, that's what this whole thing is. We need to see. The, you, you want the, the big point? The big overwhelming point is that it's an option, that they have confidence in the fact that they can do that. The fact that this bullpen has come in. Guys like Nestor Cortez have stepped up. We've even seen guys like, uh, that he's definitely not going to be on the roster, but um, Chance Adams come up and, and pitch some meaningful innings. Like, we're seeing depth in this pitching Well, here, here's the thing for and an if there's a if there's a bailout position, if there's a time that they have to go to it, Chad Green's going to be that guy. I think Chad Green would probably be the David Robertson of the 2017 wildcard. Chad Green's that guy. I have a... It, the problem with the opener is that in the regular season, you've seen it from Chad Green to Adams or Chad Green to Cortez or to David Hale. I don't know if they're going to give any of those three pitchers meaningful innings in the playoffs. I mean, Adams is not going to be on the roster. David Hale, if he comes back healthy, could be because he's been pitching pretty good. And Cortez Jr., I don't think, is on the roster either. So if you have um, 
Green pitch an inning to two innings. Who comes in next? That is the problem with the opener in the playoffs. Well, that's that's kind of the point. Like that's why I think that you would throw a guy like CC or or Hap even in that situation, and then use Chad Green as an extinguisher if they got into trouble. But you're trying to get length. If you if you burn Chad Green in the first inning in a playoff game, and and you take him out because of but the, the first inning can be bad. as important as the sixth inning when you're sure. facing the top of a batting order. Sure, but you also don't have the opportunity for depth. And are you going to bring then and Hap or CC in in the second sure. inning and do something a little different? Why not? Wouldn't wouldn't you rather have Sabathia facing uh, six, seven, eight, nine in the lineup than one, two, three, four, five? Well, I, theoretically, yes, that makes a lot more sense. But we've also seen we've we've seen CC um, much better the first couple times through a uh, through a lineup. Doesn't matter he's, he's, when he starts through the, the lineup though. So if you're if you're Go, if you're doing this strategically, give me Chad Green going up against the top of the Minnesota Twins lineup. So Sabathia is not out there trying to get outs against Nelson Cruz. I guess, but in the first inning, I like CC's stuff fine. Like I think it's okay in the first inning. I think he's playing well, and I think he can compete against the uh, the top of a lineup in the first inning. I, same with Hap. Like I, I'm fine with that. The problem for me is burning Chad Green, knowingly burning Chad Green. And a wild card in a lot of this is Batanzas. Because guess what? Hap or CC would have to go up against that same guy in, the, in, the, in, an, in an inning and a half anyway. What's the difference? Uh, uh, um, it's not worth the risk. Batanzas' status, I think, plays a lot of factor in this too. Because if Batanzas comes back and, and is healthy, then he's another late inning guy and Chad Green can be burned earlier in the game. Maybe. I don't know. I just I don't like in a playoff situation. I think it's it's tough to do that. But again, the situation will dictate. But it is tough to burn a guy knowingly that is a, a, a dominant guy. Well, the problem with starting the Sabathia. The here's the problem with starting Sabathia. We get a situation like we got last year in the playoffs, and Boone is trying to extend Sabathia to steal some outs in Game Four of the ALDS. Like a, I mean, that sounds like a Boone problem, like not an a Sabathia problem. Yeah. All right, Ryan Sargent at. Uh, Sar S A R G R J underscore seventeen on Twitter. I really wanted you to pronounce that. <laughs> How would you pronounce it, Sargerge? I don't know. I just wanted to hear it from you. Since the Yankees kept Clint, should we view him as an everyday player for us next season, or do you guys believe he is still going to be traded in the offseason for pitching? It's hard to tell how they view him at the moment, given they are most likely going to keep him down in AAA. Yeah, I think it's a. Where we're looking at Clint for, obviously now with the trade deadline passed, that's that's the uh, that's the thing you're looking at him as if he can uh, continue the season, continue to rake and build that value up, stay on the on the good path, and um, that's a it's a potential, it's possible. We've been talking about trading Clint Frazier now. It seems like since we've acquired him, do you think a team is more likely to want Clint Frazier in January than they are now? Yeah, because I think people see Clint Frazier as a uh, as a if you're looking at Clint Frazier, you're looking at him as a long-term piece to your organization. So yeah, but I, don't I mean, think, I don't think that change, changes much. I think you're going to have more suitors in in uh, the winter than you would have right now because I don't. I'm not sure people are looking at him as a guy that's going to necessarily help them currently, especially with the way he's playing defense. Like yeah, he can hit, but some teams just may not you know value that as much. Offenses, you know, if you're looking at some of these teams, you know, they just may not see him as a, a position right now. The guys who are trying to to, uh, to trade for him. Yeah, I, mean, I think more guys are available in the offseason, um, but we, we heard a little bit of rumblings that people didn't want to take on Clint Frazier yeah. because of his attitude problem. And that but if they're going to take him on, you're going to have to sweeten the deal for us. 
Right. How is that going to change also, between J- July and January? Well, I think you're getting into different situations with different teams. That's that's where I think it changes. And I think that acquiring a guy right now, like Chris Frazier, if you're if you're a, a contender of some sort, probably going to plug him in, not going to keep him in the minor league. So now you're using him as a, a as a player, probably an everyday player, or at least a bat. So what are you going to get as far as that mentality right now, entering into a clubhouse, entering into a playoff race? Like there's, a, I think there's a lot of unknowns with that. Whereas you come in the off season, you have a whole spring with him. You have, you have a lot more time. You have uh, just, just more of an assessment uh, period where you can say, Hey, we can get this guy to where we want him. Uh, but the talent is definitely there. That, that being said, I, I still do believe that the, the way that the Yankees are viewing this is that left field is a very big question mark. Um, for the future, they don't know what's going to happen there. And Clint Frazier is a guy that has definitely been much better in left than right defensively. We know Ken Rake wants to be a Yankee. I mean, we're, we're seeing what that that maturation process is at this point, because I think that's what what's going to uh, be the, the, the final tale of if he's going to be a Yankee or not. But I do think the Yankees are trying to get him uh, into the future plans. I don't know. He seems to be enjoying Scranton life, according to his Instagram. Dude, I think that... <laughs> That is a great. That is a great picture. I gotta say, it's not. It's, one it's of my a little f- sad. It's actually there's a lot of sadness in that photo. It's a little depressing, but it's it's also one of my favorite. It's it's very artistic. I appreciate the quality of the picture. He looks like a. You know what he looks like? He looks like a guy who just came out of like a 10, uh, 10, 10 round bout. He's got the hood over his yeah. head, sitting there in like the parking deck, like he's just just got through the fight of his life with the with the Scranton life lit up. Or he it's looks like, or he looks like a graffiti artist trying to hide his face. Yeah, I I like both. I think it's good. The fact that he's like living in obscurity in Scranton, Pennsylvania right now, knowing that he's a, a major league bat. It's a little sad in the sense that he should be up with a major league team, but also telling that he's done it to himself and living Scranton life. Oh, do you think there's an opportunity with all these injuries right now for him to come back up? I, mean, I think normal people would say that. I think normal <laughs> people would look at the, the, the talent of a guy like Clint Frazier and say, yeah. He should be uh, up at some point, especially if Hicks is out an extended period of time. Need outfielders. Giancarlo Stanton is nowhere to be seen. Um, but you know, you're looking at the, the the guys that have done really well, mm-hmm. and I think you that's talk what's about one of those right guys now. right now. So next one yeah. is from Evan. Uh, God damn it, Evan <laughs> Paracia. Sure, Evans. Evans wrote. I know. I've talked to Evan a thousand times on Twitter at Eze underscore Van on Twitter. Sorry, Evan. Let me know how you pronounce your last name. Uh, is Mike is include, the include phonetic spelling while submitting mailbags if you think that we'll have a problem? Note to self: uh, Is the Mike Talkman we have seen over the last few weeks the real Talkman, or will he just be an interesting footnote years later in the 2019 Championship DVD? Talkman this season: 284, 363, 506, 129 OPS, 1.4 Fangraphs WAR. Holy crap! Since his call-up from London, he's hitting 414 with three homers, six doubles, and a triple. Like, what is going on? He's got a very high batting average in balls in play, 512. That's not sustainable. He's hitting over well, 500 on balls in play. Uh, yeah, it's not, you say it's not sustainable, which is not. I mean, that, that high. But uh, you look at his approach, and you look at how he's spraying the ball. I mean, he's going left field, right field. He's hitting the ball all over the, the field. He's not a dead pole guy like he's 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 going with what's given to him and i think that's definitely one of the more telling things that i'm noticing um he's getting base hits with big in big spots last night he had a two i think it was a two run rbi single um you're seeing him go to left field so he's he's proving to be flexible and dynamic with the bat i mean he can he can hit the long ball and uh make contact in situations where you need to so 
I mean, it's this is one area you cannot dispute that Brian Cashman and and his 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 boys have been very good at, and that's identifying talent in AAA across the league with guys that are maybe you know don't have a uh, an opportunity to get up and succeed, whether it's you know the at bats are limited or they're just in a situation where there's somebody in front of them and they're not going to be able to be put. They've identified these players and have done very, very, very well with position players, uh, you know, coming over and, and you know, looking around and, and scanning those um, those minor leagues to find these guys because he's been really good. Do you think Cameron Maben's the other guy? Do you think Clint Frazier has a voodoo doll of Talkman or Maben or both? Probably both, but I'd say Talkman's Talkman. Talkman, I'd say more yeah. Talkman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody, you know, I'd say Talkman's the guy, but um, he's the one. I mean, when. When uh, if Talkman was not hitting, if Talkman was hitting like he was in the first part of the season, then I think there'd be an outcry even more for Clint Frazier saying, "What are we doing, suffering through Mike Talkman's horrendous offense?" But now he's actually giving them good offense. Um, I don't know how much of that is. Oh, Cashman and the nerds found underlying metrics and knew this guy was going to bust out. He's probably not this. I mean, it's definitely not this. I don't think he, I don't think he's a one twenty nine OPS guy, OPS plus guy, but. Um, He's proven to be a major league player, which is more than we thought in April. I mean, again, yeah, it's again, going off of too small of a sample size for me to go out there and make like big, overwhelming justifications of who this guy is. I think he's he's showing that he can be a a good player. There's no doubt. I I need to see it longer. Kind of like what what we saw with Aaron Hicks. When we saw Aaron Hicks uh, flash. We're like, okay, this guy, one, he's got to prove that he can stay healthy. Two, we need to see it in an extended period of time because we've also seen him hit slumps. So, yes, Mike Talkman has been amazing, like very, very good since London. So we're talking about a month. We're talking about a month of very, very good baseball from this guy. Is it sustainable? Who knows? We'll see. But the fact that he's spraying the ball all over the place, can play good defense. I'd actually argue that Cameron Mapin's probably more of the the player that Clint Frazier um, should be worried about because if, Clint, if, if Cameron Mabin stops hitting, which there's no sign of that right now, um, defensively, you're looking at him and Talkman. Talkman's the superior defender. Talkman's the guy that can go around and play. Talkman can play um, center field. Yeah, so I think that's that's more of the the guy that's holding Clint Frazier actually down in the minor leagues. Because if Cameron Maven stops hitting, then you're looking at that roster spot and you're like, okay, well, he's not hitting, and yeah, he's better than Frazier defensively, but is it worth keeping him on the roster because we know what we get from the bat of Clint Frazier? And without Encarnacion, Voigt, Hicks... But that's going to be potentially Glaber. Yep. Jesus. <laughs> four huge bats out of yep. your lineup. Right. And I know we love the um, backup players and what they've done. But if the bottom of your lineup right now consists of uh, Talkman and Mabin and a, a backup catcher, whether it's Higgy or Romine, mm-hmm. and, and a backup infielder, maybe it's Estrada, maybe it's Tyler Wade, it's half your lineup. Or Valera. Yeah. It is half your lineup, and and I think when you're when you get to that point, when you start talking about like the amount of guys right there, you're going to start seeing quality of pitches are are not, are not going to be as high for your major impact bats. So you're going to have to rely on some of these other guys. They're not going to get that support. And I mean, don't forget for everybody listening, Cliff Frazier was one of those replacement guys who came up and and was uh you know was very very good uh, with the bat. So you know he would fill in a similar role. And I think everybody expects it and. I mean, he'll be a September call-up. He will be on this team at some point at the end of the season. So he will have a trial run as well to, to prove that, you know, he's improved defensively. And I think that's one of the big parts for him right now is for him to really just work on that because he knows he's going to be up. 
he knows he's going to be up. I'm a little it's scared a if he doesn't get called up September 1st, what the Instagram post is going to be. Jesus, if he doesn't get up then, then like, I mean, there's no reason for him to be on this team. Yeah. They got to call him up just to not completely plummet his trade value. Well, I, I mean, so uh, everybody's like, why is he not there? Why are other guys getting the call up? Why are you seeing like um, guys get 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 the, the the nod to come up like Mike Ford? Well, first of all, Mike Ford plays first base. Oh, yeah, that's Everybody else, obvious. It's the amount of people that are like, oh, does Cliff Frazier have a first baseman glove? Like, no, <laughs> I hope I hope not. Dude can't play the outfield. Never, never mind first base. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, like they got to keep him getting regular at bats because they want him to, to keep that offensive going and they need him to get reps in the outfield to improve him getting regular at bats, him being in the field every single inning in, uh, in Scranton to me is one of the other big reasons why that he's down there because they need to not stunt his development as a player as well, because that's an important part, especially coming up in September. I think it'll be very good for Clint Frazier. I think all of this in the end, when we look back, will be very good for Clint Frazier and he'll use it as fuel. Final mailbag is from Andrew. It's not me. Uh, earlier in the week, you guys were speaking highly of Trevor Bauer coming to the Yankees, regardless of his antics. Unfortunately, that trade did not materialize the Reds again, but I'm curious to know your feelings on the double standard that comes with, um, emotion on the field. It seems like when a player pimps a home run or a pitcher yells and screams for a big strikeout, it's all fine. I E fun baseball, let the kids play, etc. And yet when players are showing true emotion, like Bauer center field, bomb bench, clearing brawls, mad bum, getting, pissy after home runs it's taken as bad for baseball why do you guys feel the double standard of showing emotion in the field exists in the game today uh i mean i don't know if, if people look at it as bad for baseball honestly i think you you uh you ask a lot of people as far as uh, fights and bench clearing brawls they say it's very good for baseball because it gets a ton of attention on it uh but when you're talking about like the the type of a player and you're looking i think you got to look at the situation and what, what it is um yeah pipping home runs is much more prevalent in today's age, but if there's a way to do it. Like if you're, if you're staring into the opposing dugout and like making eyes like that, very different than, than uh, a Tim Anderson getting excited, looking at his throw on the bat and looking at his own uh, teammates and getting pumped up. Like I, I like emotion in baseball, so I have no problem with any of this stuff. The fact that, that uh, Bauer is throwing a ball over center field and, and like literally the second baseman on his own team thought he was going to die and take a take a, a fastball to the chest at like 40 feet. You know, that's 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 a guy who's a little bit of a mental mental mentally unstable. Yeah. So you're looking at that and it's a little different. So there's a key difference in everything that um, was mentioned here. So pimping a home run bench clearing brawl when Mad Bum was yelling at um, Muncie, all that stuff is the other team. Bauer throwing the ball over the center field fence is showing frustration with himself, but also kind of a bad look for your just your own teammates in general. It's, it's a bad look for you because you you made the decision to throw a ball over center field like a complete lunatic. And I mean, you don't. I mean, the frustration was still there from the other team. All these other, all these other. Uh, but the the, the Royals were not looking about. at that, saying, "Oh, he he just disgraced us." Oh, no, no. Yeah, he just looks like an idiot. Right. That's all it was. And uh, he, I, he just, I kind just of cemented the fact that he's a, a lunatic. And like if uh, if a pitcher stares down one of his own position players, if there's an error, like yeah. that's when you start to get problems within your own team. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And but I, to the um, to the point Andrew's trying to make uh, the, the the guy who wrote this in, I think he's more talking about just the emotion and overall. Definitely baseball. not me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. Like even really the, the Bauer over center field, it's like uh, it's just it's amusing to me, honestly. 
Like, yeah, I, like, I like we seeing, said, I I like seeing crazy people play sports. I would have accepted Trevor Bauer's me. craziness on the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, I think there. I think it probably ran its course in Cleveland. I think that's I'm the sure reason he got traded, and it would probably I, I, eventually run its course in New York. But Trevor Bauer has also said he's never going to sign a long term contract. He wants to be a year to year guy. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because he's hard to handle. I think <laughs> he's for, a crazy organization. So, and you see him show up in the stands in Cleveland after he gets traded just to take in the game. Like that was there's there's a reason why he's very well. Uh, liked, I think, in fan bases because he is that kind of crazy. And I think everybody kind of sees like a little bit of a layman in him as well. Like, oh, he's just a lunatic like a lot of us are. Like he just handles things poorly like some of us might do. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, seeing that guy and you're like, okay, he's not like this big professional athlete who's making millions of dollars and shows it. He's just a crazy guy who who lives on emotion. And I think, I think a lot of fans like seeing uh, guys on emotion, but there's a brink. There's a point where you're like, it's enough. And um, I think Clint Frazier's in a similar boat to that. Honestly, like I think that's similar, similar in sense. Like fan bases can get worn out. So second time we're bringing up Jabba Chamberlain. Do you remember the beef he had with Aubrey Huff on the Orioles when you know Jabba would do the Jabba fist pump after a big strikeout? Aubrey Huff hit a home run off of Jabba and did the Jabba fist pump after he hit a home run. So yeah. clearly, Aubrey Huff deemed the Jabba fist Aubrey pump. Aubrey Huff was also one of those he was like, a get tool. off my lawn. He was a tool Big bag. get off my lawn guy. But he deemed the Jabba fist pump as you know bad, showing up the other team. It was kind of new at that point too. It was kind of in the beginning of of that of that next era of of baseball where there's a lot of emotion being shown. Yeah, uh, you know, by was celebrating because there was a direct correlation and a direct comparison when you're looking at what Jabba's doing and when you're looking at what Mariano's sure, doing. Sure, Mariano strikes and, out someone; he has the same emotion as if he gives up a home run. Like it yeah. doesn't change. But right. there were other guys that Papelbon would freak out every time he got a a big strikeout. Yeah, and you hated it. You hated it because it was on the opposing team. Sure, but so there's certain players you're going to rub the wrong way, like this Mad Bum and Mac, Max Muncy beef. Right uh, from earlier this season, so I, look, I think I don't it just care depends on the player like, because I think sometimes you're going to get a pimp job, and I think it just happens. Like I know Sabathia has talked about if someone hits a home run and pimps it, well, fine. I I fist pump after I get a big strikeout. Like it's just yeah. part of the game. David Wells used to say that too. I'm going to throw you my best pitch if you hit it, and you hit it over the fence. I got to tip my cap to you because if I strike you out. I'm going to be animated the other way. Like that's just right. part of the game. It's better when there's emotion involved in every and any sport. Let's everybody needs to understand that. So I think a lot of this with baseball, you don't see it. You don't see the outcry as much. And I don't think you see it as much anymore, but you don't see the outcry in other sports because it's almost accepted. Baseball has got this, you know, this tradition and pride and like old man's club and all the old boys club and all this stuff where you have to like do a certain thing. And I think we're just, we're, we're seeing that and probably starting around that job at Chamberlain when he started doing the celebrations, we've seen it slowly get implemented more into the game. Uh, you know, but I think that's a big deal. Like when you're trying to get younger and you're trying to uh, attract younger fans as well, like that emotion is good. It's a good thing because there is real emotion when you're playing a sport. It's a, it's a child's game. And if you're not playing with emotion, you're not doing it justice and you're probably not at your best performance. Uh, depending on the person, if you have to release it, release it. Yeah, fair. Good episode. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we, uh, couple, couple, another thing also, a bunch of new stuff went up in the fan shop. There's a new uh, social account at Yankee Shop, correct? 
Yep, it's it's at, uh, at Yankee Shop. I'm appreciate for nobody in the history of, uh, <laughs> of Twitter taking that account. So that's ours now, Yankee Shop. Uh, that's we're gonna start putting more of the new releases up. Or we've been releasing a lot of shirts. I've been putting in a lot of design time, getting some stuff out there for you guys. Uh, I'm always open to requests. If you have anything that you want to see, shoot us an email, shoot me a DM. Let me know uh, what your thoughts are. Uh, we're also adding more sizes. We're adding different cuts for for ladies and kids and babies and dogs and apparel, like all sorts of stuff you're going to see uh, that is centered around, you know, being a Yankees fan, not necessarily all Bronx pinstripes. We'll see more Bronx pinstripe stuff, but I'm also working on some really custom stuff too um, that, that I'm going to be releasing soon. Hopefully that'll keep you warm in the playoffs. Uh, so, some really cool stuff that's, uh, that's, that I've been uh, kind of holding back and, and just tweaking designs and stuff. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I got one more thing too. Um, to, yesterday, today is uh, the fifth. We're on Monday morning recording this. Yesterday was my my little man's birthday. Uh, it was two years old, and I just I had a really cool weekend just because it was a lot of fun seeing him. With uh, we had a, a party for him with his buddies and did a like a dinosaur thing, and then we watched a lot of baseball. Like he was awake because of the doubleheaders. It's just it's fun for him because he's uh, becoming obsessed with Yankee baseball already. It's crazy. Like he knows Didi. Every time you see, he sees a baseball, Didi's the first guy he says. Uh, Judge, he, he talks about uh, any kind of baseball. It doesn't matter. Actually, any sport, it's Yankees. Didi and it's Judge like, are easy syllables for him to say at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didi was immediate. It was super easy. Uh, but it's just, it, to me, like this whole thing, and I've had some people, I, I, I kind of said it was his birthday on Twitter last night, but there's been a lot of people who have been with us this entire show uh, for a long time, for three plus years now. And uh, it's it's been a really cool experience, obviously, for me and Andrew just doing the show. We love this sport. We love Yankees. We love talking about it. Uh, but it's also been a, a, a bit of a therapy for, for us in different moments. For me personally, last year, two years ago, I was up in Boston with Kemp and my wife, Bevan. And uh, he, uh, Kemp was born at Boston Children's Hospital with a, you know, a major heart issue. Um, he has since gone through a couple of open heart surgeries. He's got another one scheduled for next year, but things are going really well with him. And I just want to thank everybody for staying with us and, and you know, listening to the show and uh, going back and forth with us and supporting my, my little man. I've had a bunch of guys uh, who listen to the show, like sending him shirts uh, and, and like give him give him Yankees gear. Like it's it's crazy to see what this community has become. And um, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there because it's been uh, it's been a really big help for me personally, just doing this whole thing and, and talking about Yankees baseball. And I know my son is going to grow up in an awesome community with awesome fans and be super passionate about something that, that I love and I know all you guys love too. So just something really cool. And I wanted to, to share with, with you guys and how appreciative I am. Well, there's no way I can top that. So I'm going to end the show right there and just say we'll talk to you on Thursday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.